1: And Al Warren, heard on 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and one hundred and five oh AM Palm Springs.
3: Okay, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren, and joining me as co-host today is got Mr. John Copenhaver. How are you doing, John?
2: I am doing fabulously.
3: I've heard that. Of course, what else would you be, even when you're not? Fabulous. You're fabulous. I, I know.
2: I can't help it. it just, well, <laughs>
3: <laughs> the sun is glaring. Off. Right. <laughs> They're going to have to powder your forehead, too, like mine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Well, so we've got uh, another guest of yours this week. That's a uh, friend of yours. Yeah. It's someone that you've been uh, hanging out with a lot, hobnobbing in the big events and all the ones <laughs> you socialites get invited to and big celebrities and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, me, nobody calls. <laughs>
2: oh, I'll call Al. I'll give you a ring.
3: Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all right. I, I'm not really fussy on people anyways, we know. Um, well, so we've got um, one of the stars of The Last Crime, little group that you had there. And uh, so Kelly Garrett, thank you for coming on the show.
0: Hi, thank you guys for having me
3: kelly so what's it like uh being an honor in uh you know in a mystery um group of mystery writers
0: um do you mean like left coast crime yeah as for those who don't know left coast crime is uh one of the three big mystery conferences that we have and so we just had our first one in two years um recently and i was lucky enough to be asked to be the toastmaster. so it was fun to see everybody, and um, but it was also, like, a, you know, a lot because I have been sitting in my sweatpants, you know, for the past two years. I kind mm-hmm. of feel like I went from, like, one to, like, 100 in, like, a weekend, I guess you could say. so But it was fun. I got to hang out with John a little bit and see a lot of just really cool people that I've only seen on screens the past two years. so
3: Yeah, you know, and after a big event like that, then you realize how much it's better to be on screen (laughs) well no i I, so what does a toastmaster do in in one of these events
0: basically i'm i was the host for the event so we had like an opening ceremony um where i got to announce the left coast crime they had the lefty awards their nominees so john was one of the nominees um i got to announce him and the other nominees and then we have an awards banquet where I got to do a little speech and do a toast and you know um, just basically just I don't know like be the MC of the evening I guess.
3: So you're like Chris Rock.
0: Yes, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't make any jokes to get me slapped. At least no one came up
3: and slapped me. John didn't go up and <laughs> so They wanted, wanted to. When, when John, wanted lost, John lost, John yeah. lost. So he didn't come up and slap you. Someone yeah, made no, he didn't. <laughs> <I don't
2: know. laughs> Is there Someone made that joke. To me.
3: <laughs> oh, well, so you're handing out the cocktails is what you're doing.
0: Or just telling people to drink the cocktails.
3: So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that's, that's, that's quite an honor in a sense, you know, that uh, people think highly of you. Is it important that um, other crime writers or people in, in your genre uh, appreciate the work you do?
0: I mean, I, I feel like I would be cocky if I'm like, Oh, it's, that's so important. I think, um, It's interesting because I've only been really, you think about it, around for five years. My my first book came out in 2017. I've only had three books out during that time. And so um, I'm honored that people respect me, I guess, Um, you know, because I even from the beginning, I was just very outspoken on certain things, you know, and I think um, now that other people weren't outspoken, I was basically when it comes to diversity and inclusivity, I was very outspoken, like. I was lucky to win, um, three major mystery awards my first year. I won the Anthony, the Agatha, and the Lefty. And for two of my three speeches, I talked about diversity. Um, you know, so it's always a risk when you, you kind of shine that, shine that light on people or that mirror back of them to see how people react, you know, and of course some people don't react great, right, but for the most part, people were very, um, you know, happy that I, I brought up these important topics.
3: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's good. I mean, um, it's good to be different or shine a light on something that maybe isn't always focused on. It's always, um, sometimes it's a challenge and you're always going to get a little bit of, bite back, so to speak, or s- yeah. someone staring at you or something. But, you know, um, I, I think in general, m- most of the people want to do the right thing and go the right way. So I think yeah. it's good, you know.
0: Yeah, um, it's always so tricky, though, when it comes, to, I think, you know, um, when it comes to diversity and inclusivity and, um, you know, race and, uh, you know, homophobia, things like that, you know, it's it's tricky because it, it can be an uncomfortable conversation, and I think when you're um, straight and cis and white, you're not used to being uncomfortable. Um, and the irony is that the rest of us are uncomfortable a lot of the time, you know, and so that's the tricky thing is, is having to deal with that uncomfort for some people who aren't used to it. So,
3: Yeah, well, we, we, you know, when you're in a um, situation like that, a minority situation like that, um, it's easy um, to become strong and to deal with um, confrontation and dislike. Like we've we've become much stronger earlier and over the years by, by facing so many challenges, but you're right. um, A typical um, straight white guy is not really used to dealing with that or dealing a lot with their own sensitivities or feelings. So, yeah. So the, you know, it's going to make people uncomfortable, but I think, I think it's a bumpy road that we need to take. Yeah, for sure. Right? Because that's how they overcome it themselves, by, by them facing that same challenge that we faced earlier in our lives and still right. do now. Right. I think it, it, it. hopefully it makes, even if it only makes half of them aware of it, it's a step forward. At Correct. a time, I Correct. think the the only thing we need to do. I mean, not necessarily you, but I think as a as, you know, and in this situation, as I think we need to not. Um, there's a lot of hate going on around these situations. I, I prefer not to, to, to hate people that get themselves in an uncomfortable situation, even though they're trying to help. You know what I? Or they're trying to do the yeah, right. Thing
0: yeah. I not. don't. I don't think I hate them. You know, I think it's it's. Tricky. I think you know. I think sometimes people think I'm outspoken. I think it's funny because I, if you see me, I'm like five foot four and I'm very smiley. Um, but I think I, I can. People are intimidated by me sometimes because I'm so outspoken. They're, um, you know. But I, I, I do try to. Um, I put a lot of thought in how I say things, and I, I think it's easy, especially with social media, to just jump in and and kind of try to shame people or, um, or like, you know, make them feel bad. And I, I, my goal is not to do that. Like I know that I know that, um, you know, I don't want people to get defensive. So I do put a lot of thought, um, in how I, how I say things. So.
3: Yeah. But, you know, and that's good. I, I, I'm very much that way. And I'm considered to be a little bit colorful or aggressive too. And some people are definitely intimidated by me, but, I think it's not so much that it's me. It's probably not so much that it's you. They're intimidated by the well thought out words you say.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. That
3: gets put out in the air and it's like, it's, it's there. You can't avoid it. It's not. And so that's, it's usually more about the subject than the person. You just happen to be the one saying it. And then they're kind of, oh, and yeah. So, but it's a good thing. Like I said. You're doing a good thing in several ways. Um, and that's fantastic that you're you're doing well in the um, in the mystery world. I mean, was was there a certain point in your life um, when you decided that this is what you wanted to do? Was write?
0: Well, I've wanted to write since I was five years old. You know, I wanted to write a book, and I was just afraid to do it, and so I kind of took the very little roundabout way where I was. A journalist, and I was a TV writer, um, even now I have a day job where I work in communications, and so um, it was very roundabout, so i 've always made my money actually writing in some form, but it took a long time to actually be brave enough to to start a book so
3: Did you feel a little bit of pressure, but you know you're saying you do a day job in communications and you 're writing and making a living and you want to jump out there in your first book, did that kind of did that make it even more pressure to make sure that the book was was good?
0: I don't know. I think, honestly, ironically, I think to me having a day job is a great safety net, actually. You know, um, it's interesting. So my, um, I had my first two books on a mid-sized publisher, and they um, closed right when I was working on my third book. And there were people who were with the publisher who was like, why don't you just give them that third book, you know, and, and I did not want to. And I think I because I did have that safety net of I have a day job, so this is, you know, this is not, if I don't give them the book, it's not money missing for me, you know, which I think I might have felt differently if I was a full-time writer at that point and I needed that money. You know, so I think it lets me and lets me um, kind of have the be able to kind of think about career long term versus like, oh, I got to eat next month. You know.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. That's what you know. I keep working at the Walmart greeting people at night. That's how I uh, just in case <laughs> it doesn't work out, right? You know, I got the job there from John. He. Uh... Well,
2: you know, you you do love people so much. I thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's funny. They, they, yeah, they tell me to tackle anybody I think stealing stuff. So I, uh, you know, I'm there. I'm
0: there. It's a good job. I mean, um, my Walmart is very much about the like check your receipt and like in yeah. the bag before you can leave. So I yeah.
3: you. <laughs> I just want to see what people are buying. I'm just snoopy. Um, but you know, and I bring the reason I bring up the uh, awards or the show, the left lefties and stuff, is because. Um, for me, I mean, I'm in the true crime area and I write nonfiction and a lot of times, um, the first books I wrote, you know, there, you you get people that read it and they say things and all that and good things, bad things, whatever. And, uh, but one of the most important things to me, one of the things that sort of excited me the most was when a really well-known, um, Crime writer, true crime writer, had actually wrote a review on one of my books, and it was really good. I mean, that made me feel really good. Not that I was ever trying to impress him or any other writers. It was just fascinating that someone that's established and considered to be a good writer actually thought what I did in a book was good. So that's sort of why I bring it up. I'm just wondering if that, in itself, is it important that people that are kind of established or good turn around and say, "Wow, you you." You've really written a good book.
0: Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm lucky that I have some people who I've admired forever who have read the books and like them. You know, I think, I think if I thought about other people reading my books, I would not write them. I'd be too intimidated, you know. So I think um, even now, like I just had my third book, like a sister, come out last month, March eighth. And it still amazes me that it's a book, you know, in my mind it's still this word document that I, you know, opened up for the for two or three years and worked on. And so I think I think I have to look at it still as that word document for me, otherwise I get too intimidated and scared. Like I'm I don't read reviews, you know, um, like I don't go on Goodreads, um Even if people tag me on reviews on like Instagram, I'll just respond like, thank you so much. I don't read reviews, but thank you so much for reading them. Um, So I kind of have to operate in this bubble. Otherwise, I think I would scare myself.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's something you have to get used to because, yeah, it's um, I don't so much now. I'll go and look at the top of my name at goodreads and kind of, it'll say like you know 800 and some reviews mm-hmm. and it'll be like uh let's say four out of five or three, you yeah. know whatever and you're like okay that's great good enough i don't need to get into the details
0: yeah i mean because i'm the type of person that like you know like you can say like five five good things and one bad thing and of course the one bad thing i'm like they hated the book you know so that's why just from a self-care perspective i it's just best for me to avoid all reviews and that's—I said—I I appreciate them um, very much, and I'm happy people care enough about the book to write them. But just from my own pers- my own mental space, I, I can't read them. So yeah. I do hope they're all good. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I tend to you know look at reviews in different ways, but I, I think that you gotta it, are they going to help you as a writer is like my yeah. biggest question. And if they don't help, then there's no point in reading them. Right. So do you
0: read all your reviews, John?
2: No, I don't. In fact, I just don't even look at Goodreads. I will scan the Amazon reviews. Um, If it's a professional reviewer, book reviewer, that's taken the time to publish, yes, I do read those. And I often find those to be the most useful because they're really engaging with the book, um, you know, in a sort of – in a professional sense, not just as a casual reader. Um, And that – Not that there aren't wonderful, you know, casual readers that write beautiful reviews. In fact, there are. But I think um, it's just that a lot of them are just kind of like, I'll have all these embedded, um, you know, uh, agendas, objectives, and writing the kinds of reviews that they write, good or bad, you know. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't really tell you how to write a better book the next go around, which seems like the only thing, I can't really do anything about the book that you have out now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think that's
3: the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I always just find out where they lived, and then I go to the Walmart and I pretend to be the <laughs> shopper, and I, I fix them good.
0: <laughs> if I you, see you at my uh, Walmart, I know what's going
3: on. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, your your new book here. You're talking about like a sister that just came out in March. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the basic premise. What what is someone um, going to read about in that book?
0: Um, Sure. So basically, um, I got the idea from a New York Daily News headline about a pregnant reality star found dead um, in the Bronx with cocaine and no pants on, which I thought was a very disrespectful headline, but very on brand for the Daily News. And so I was completely fascinated with this idea. And I was kind of like, um, but like, what's the story? Is it a PI novel? Like, what is it? And one day I was walking down the street by Rockefeller Center and I said, oh. She was going to see her sister and never made it. Um, so that's the story. It's from the point of view, uh, point of view of Lena Scott, who has been estranged from her sister for two years. Who is this glamorous reality star named Desiree Pierce? And all she knows is her sister was coming to see her at five in the morning, and she did not make it. And she feels guilty that something is going on with her sister, and she wasn't there for her. So she starts looking into her, what was going on with her the past, you know, few months before she died. It makes her kind of plunge into a world she does not want to be in, which is the world of her family, because she also has a really weird relationship with their father, who is Mel Pierce, who is um, kind of a really well-known hip-hop mogul, who uh, Lena feels left her when he left her mom when she was little. So it's got a lot of family drama, plus, you know, uh, what I think are some good twists and turns. Um, and it's got some funny stuff in there, too, even though it's a more serious book than Maya series was, so.
2: So, you know, Kelly, I know that you spent some stint in Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm curious about how that helps you or maybe at times was a challenge to you in writing uh, your, your books. Uh, I'd say that, you know, somewhat from experience, I'm teaching students at BC right now. A lot of them are in the film department and they, a lot of them are writing scripts, and so I think these are very kind of scripty manuscripts, so I'm curious, I'm just, I'm, I think I'm personally a bit fascinated with the relationship between sort of translating something from uh, a screenplay to uh, a
0: novel. Yeah, so I, um, I worked in Hollywood for eight years, I got my master's degree in screenwriting from USC, um, which I think is only school in the country, and many will agree, um, and I spent a year on the TV show Cold Case, and with television, you have a very set time limit. You have about, I think, 42 minutes if you count commercial breaks. And so you don't have a lot of time to dilly-dally. Like, you just can't have a character spend two minutes walking down the street admiring trees because every scene has to move the story forward. And um, so it's very plot-heavy. And also they had something called um, act-outs, which is the last scene before the commercial break, they want you to sit through commercials. So they'll always end it on a climactic uh, moment. And so I kind of feel like my books are very plot heavy. And um, I try to end, I call them chapter outs, because I try to end every chapter on a climactic moment to make, hopefully the reader say, oh, I just want to stay up and read one more chapter. Um, on the flip side, I suck at description. I think I was okay. realizing, I realized when I listened to the audiobook that I did not describe, like, half my characters because the voices she used were actually not the voices I, in my head mm-hmm. of what the person was like. And so um, I have to really work hard at describing a room because with a screenplay, you don't really have to describe it because it's, it's a visual medium so you can see it. You know, the screenplay is not a finished product. The movie's a finished product. Whereas a book is a finished product. So I want to, you know, I want to be able to work. I work really hard at trying to like, okay, describe the room, Kelly, or, you know, describe what the person looks like or what they sound like. So that's what I, I struggle with. And I think that's from the screenwriting background. So.
2: You know, what I've, I've observed in my students is that they have trouble getting into the consciousness of the characters or point of view characters. Mm. Um, they want to write it sort of, they'll describe the scene, um, and of course, great dialogue, but then they will enter the consciousness of the character, which is like the thing that fiction can do that screenplays can't really, you know? Yeah. Uh, did that, was that ever a struggle for you, or did that come more naturally?
0: I tend to write, I just write first person, and I tend to write first person pass, which mm-hmm. to me is a more introspective you know, voice. I think even first person present, you're actually more in the moment. They don't really have time to sit and reflect on things because they're experiencing it in the moment. Whereas first person past, they're reflecting on what happened and they can kind of you know, look at it like a memory. And so um I I try to do that. I try to, you know, get into the brain and the thought. I don't always succeed because um, sometimes things are in my head that I don't I don't put on the page and I have to give my editor, Helen O'Hare at Mulholland Books credit. You know, um, I'm a black woman. I write about black women and um, I understand black women, you know, because that's my mom and my sister and even my niece. And there'd be times where my editor, Helen, who's white, would be like, I don't understand why Lena is reacting this way, you know? And to me, I'm like, well, that's just how we react to things, you know? (laughs) And um but I had to I was great because I was like I have to make sure the reader understands why she's not crying. You know why she hasn't cried yet? Why she's so focused on on figuring this out and she, why she's not letting herself be vulnerable or emotional. And so um that was a struggle for sure and it did not it was not there on the first the first draft, you know, and probably on the second draft too, but you know the finished product, I I like to hope and think that it is on the page where, you know, even if you don't agree with Lena's reactions to things, you understand why she's reacting that way. So oh,
3: absolutely! You know how do you, how do you actually um, see your characters? Like, do you do you do you see them like in in your mind, or do you hear them hear their voice? How, and and I asked that. Um, because a lot of writers will say that. They'll describe their characters and see them in a vision or something or hear them and stuff like that. What, what's your situation?
0: I'm, like, not that. It's so funny. Like, I think it's funny when they're like, oh, they spoke to me and they came fully formed. Like, that's yeah. not me. I had to work at her. I had to work at her. Um, I know what she looks like because I wasted a lot of time not writing, trying to figure out what she looked like with actress. So she looks like Tessa Thompson to me with ripples. And um, I did a lot of character work. Like I do the Myers-Briggs.
1: I did Myers-Briggs for her and for her. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: sister, and for um, another character who's a sister's best friend, who Lena has, like, this jealousy of. Her name is Erin. So I definitely um, did a lot of character research. And some might say I did it Some didn't want to write the book. I was just wasting time. But I like to think it helped.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Do you you use people in your life as um, an influence, let's say, or inspiration of your characters, or perhaps you go out to the coffee shop and see people and pick up conversations or you hang out at the Walmart, maybe.
0: I <laughs> um, next to you. No, I don't. It's funny. <laughs> I, mean, I think my family wishes that I was like, yeah, that's based on my mother, but no, I don't. I mean, I think, um, I don't think anyone's based on anyone in particular. I think they're based on ideas, you know, and um, maybe like, A mix of people, certain things I might take from one person or the other, but, like, there's no one where I'm like, oh, this person is definitely, you know, this person. They might be incisive, inspired with certain elements, but no one was, like, no one was ripped from this book and, um, and taken. Even with the, like I said, it was based on a daily news headline, but the character of Desiree is definitely not based on the woman who passed away, um, at all. It was more the headline that inspired me. So, um, so no, it's all in my head. It's all me.
3: Al. All me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I I always wonder about that because uh, it's amazing some of the stories that people can come up with, and that and and reality is certainly a little bit of a fiction in life. You know, I just there's so many weird things going on around us all the time, and mm-hmm. um, so much to choose from. So, do do you actually take things that happen in the news Mm -hmm. and sort of maybe that inspires your characters like you look at your character and decide how they would react if this happened is it kind of that way of? no
0: but I, I it's funny I do um all my stories I'm not super creative so all my stories are based on like news headlines and um are even if you don't think it's directly like I think um like there, if you look at Hollywood Homicide, which is the first book in my, my, my debut, which is also the first book in a series, the Detective by Day series, um, there is a group in there that's robbing celebrities that was actually based 10 or, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was this group of people, of these like teenagers who were robbing celebrities, so that was based on that. And then in the second book, Hollywood Ending, there was a publicist who was leaving an award show um, event, and unfortunately, she got shot. And so that was the basis for um, the murder mystery in Hollywood ending. And as I mentioned, um, Like a Sister was based on a daily news headline. Um, I will say my next book, um, The General Ideas, something that I thought of all by myself, but... Um, there's still elements from. Um, there's still elements like the Gabby Petito case is actually strongly influencing the book mm-hmm. I'm working on now. So I'm always. I like you said. I think you know truth is always stranger than fiction, as they say that cliche. And so um, I definitely will look at that and be like, oh, that's a book. And how do I how do I take that that idea and put it in this world of this black woman and dealing with this with this issue and you know modern day America, I guess
3: yeah john John was really big in band life. You can always talk to him about it <laughs> <laughs> um now because the news headlines and so many things are important it seems it seems like and um do you do you actually have a subtext or a um some sort of theme or something that you want the reader to get from the book? Besides the entertainment value
0: i here's a tricky thing for me I'm curious what you guys think about this. Um, I think the struggle with being a, a marginalized person writing um, books or just entertainment and period is that media um, a lot of readers want, like, put, place this premium on, like, it has to be about, like, racism or homophobia or X, Y, Z, you know, like, um, and, like, they want, they, they want us to, like, they want to use, they expect to use our books to, like, learn about something. And Jasmine Guillory, who is this really amazing black woman who writes romances, said that she um, has a romance, and this white woman said to her, you missed the opportunity to, just, to teach me about racism. And like I said, she writes romance. And so the fact that you expected a romance novel and you're mad because you didn't learn about racism, you know, I think is a lot to put on people of color, and queer people, when our straight, cis, white counterparts don't, they can just write a book. Um, so I, my goal is always to write a beach read that happens to have a black woman in it. Having said all that, um I am writing about black women and it would not be a true experience if I did not cover microaggressions, you know, like there's no one, no one's going to call Lena the N word or just have overt racism, you know, that we're all just so upset about in it. However, she's, you know, she gets underestimated because she's a black woman or when she's in a strange place and a cop comes up to her, she's going to react differently because she's a black woman in a strange place dealing with a cop, you know? So, um, so I don't set out necessarily to teach anybody anything, you know. I just set, a, set out to share not what I hope is an authentic Black woman in America in twenty 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 twenty, whatever year the book set in, um, experience. So,
3: yeah, I, I don't think you necessarily have to set out to to do a like a lot of times subtext just come up. You know, you're writing and you're going through the experience, and the book ends. But there was some sort of meaning that um was in it. sometimes it just happens organically
0: yeah, I think that's why would happened with me i i want I would say that it there's definitely things like that, and I think it's what I like to think is organic. you know I talk about the um the idea of the strong black woman a lot in the book that um I did not have in the earlier drafts, and I put in because Helen, my editor, was like, "I don't understand why she's reacting certain ways," and I'm like, "That's that strong black woman," so um, so I I definitely I do have those moments in there, so
3: yeah, yeah, you know you, you're gonna you're gonna personally react to things even in the story that you're writing, right? So yeah, you, you you've got to have that expression somewhere, right? I think, yeah. but. You know, um, so now you, when you say you're writing a series or do you actually when you write a series like that or something like, are you an outliner? Do you sit down, outline kind of your ideas and kind of know where it's going to begin and kind of how your outcome is? And then you kind of fill that in or are you just by the moment?
0: Um definitely a super outliner, um, like 25 pages. And then I'll still throw out the third act I and mean, each every time I do it. Um the blank page scares me. And so like to me the safety net is the outline. So I am a super outliner for sure.
3: Mm. So now your 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 series, when you write a series, they stand alone. Like a person doesn't have to have start at the beginning. They can pick up at any part, part of the series.
0: Um well the series only had two books in it. And okay. so um yeah, I would like to think that if you picked up Hollywood Ending, you would be able to jump right in. I hope I tried to explain what Dana's situation was, so you can jump in for sure. So,
3: now where do you get your inspiration from? It's kind of a corny question, but do you know it doesn't have to be other writers? Do you do you sort of um, listen to music, or do you watch movies, or do you you know what van life? I don't know.
0: Um. <laughs> i i mean like i just yeah anything like like stuff fascinates me so it could it could be anything and anywhere that i get an idea from you know um i'm assuming that's what you mean by inspiration um it could be anything you know um i got the idea for the book i'm working on right now because i went on a writer's retreat at a friend's house in baltimore so it could be anything you know um I think it's best when I don't try to find an idea, you know, like I might, like I said, see the daily news headline and be like, ooh. Or with the Hollywood Homicide, which is the first book in my uh, my debut, in the day series, I was driving past a billboard offering a $15,000 reward for information on a murder. And at the time I was dead broke. I was like, ooh, I should try to solve that. And then I was like, oh, that's such a horrible idea. Like my mother would kill me. I wouldn't be on the billboard next. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, but I was like, oh, that's a great idea for a book. And so that's what the day books are about. It's this woman, this actress who's kind of broken, lost, and her family's about to lose her ho- their house, and she dr- realizes she drives past the billboard for information on a hit-and-run and realizes she drove past the hit-and-run. So she's like, ooh, let me try to just remember something about the car so I can get this money, and the next thing you know, she's, like, running down the street in her Louis Vuitton's chasing bad guys. Wow. So.
2: <laughs> your your book sort of changed a little bit in tone from, you know, ho- the Hollywood homicide yeah. and um, Hollywood ending or, to, I guess, more of a psychological suspense. You know, is that, yes. I mean, I know I, people refer to those first two books as cozy. I, I don't personally think they're cozies, but I don't know what you think about that. But there was sort of a shift, right? And I'm, I'm curious about why you went that direction and, you know, Talk us through that a
0: little bit. I don't mind if people want to call my book a cozy. It's fine. If they don't want to call it cozy, it's fine. I Call whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so when my publisher closed after while I was writing book three in the series, I kind of was like, oh, at, at the time I wasn't really sure, honestly, what I wanted to do next anyway because I had a three-book contract. And I was kind of like, oh, well, the decision has been made for me. And so I kind of was like, oh, this could be a career reset. And I knew a lot of people like Rachel Housell Hall and Jess Lowry, of course, like the goat is like, you know, Laura Littman, who went from writing a series to moving on to standalones. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really think there was a lot of, um, I've been reading a lot of domestic suspense, and there was not a lot of Black women stories in there. There's some people like Kate Hollihan was doing it, and um, Rachel Housell Hall was transition at that time but I was like oh well what if I try to write a more standalone domestic suspense book but again it's about a black woman so it, it can't have a lot of the tropes that you see in um, domestic suspense you know a lot of domestic suspense is this white woman in the suburbs you right. know and of course she's like what like she, her husband she can't trust her husband she's lost her kid this and that she's super nosy with her neighbors And that's not, Black women acting like that is not going to get the same reaction and sympathy as white women counterparts do. Um, And so I I knew, I did not want to write a woman in the suburbs. I wanted to write a woman in the city who was single, because that's me. Um, You know, but I still wanted to have the tropes of, you know, good twist and family drama and like a really interesting first person narrative. So it definitely has those tropes just have a decidedly black woman perspective. So
3: do you ever, I guess, you know, in your your, um, writing process, are you the type that can just sit down and write? Like, can you say, well, there's nobody here between 11 and three today, or I've got Saturday off, so I'll sit down and write. Can you just do it like that? Or do you have to be in a mood?
0: I have to be in a mood. Um, I am trying to force myself to be in that mood. You know, um, I think one of the cool things about, um, you know, the pandemic is that so much stuff went online with like Zoom and, you know, things like that, where I I have been doing a lot more sprints. I have more time because I'm not commuting to work so i would spend time sprinting with friends you know and even zoom sprinting with friends which is great because it's like you kind of chit chat a little bit then you spend 25 minutes writing then you can talk about what you wrote and if you're like oh i i had this idea while i was writing what do you think about this or they might say like oh i'm working on this scene you want like let's talk about it so that's kind of cool it kind of makes writing which is such a solitary endeavor um a bit more like, you know, work environment, because you have someone to talk to. Um, so that's been helping me a lot. So I think if it was just me by myself, I don't know if I'd be as driven, but it helps to have another person with me. So,
3: so where do you see yourself going? Like, what, where, where do you see this writing career going? Do you think you're going to keep on pursuing it?
0: Yeah, it's a dream for me, and so I just don't, um, God willing, I, you know, I'm able to write for the rest of my life, you know, hopefully one day I can be successful enough to do it full-time and not have to have the day job, you know, um, so I just got to keep writing these books.
3: Well, if you, you know, I can get you on part-time at Walmart. If you...
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, you and me next to each other.
3: Yeah, do, do the weekend, you know, and. Um, well, so it, now someone that's um, never read one of your books before, which one would you suggest they read to get to know who, what kind of a writer you are? Is that the new one you've got now?
0: Yeah. I mean, isn't that the one, now? let's say that one. Um, if you are looking for something a lot more just fun, I would um, go with the day books, the detected by day books. But I mean, I, I have three, so it wouldn't take long to read all them all if they wanted to. Um, but I, I, I like to think I'm getting better with each book. So I, I definitely think Like a Sister is my best work yet. And I'm hoping that the next one is even better. Right now it's not because it's a crappy first draft. But, um, you know, I think I'm. it's funny. I, I took them about three years, but I got the rights back to the two um, books in my series. And I self-published them in December. And when I was self-publishing them, I had to reread them. And I'm not that person who rereads their books because I always want to make changes. And so I kind of I think about these books, you know, more as this was the time in my life where I was at, you know. And so I kind of put my emotional feelings on the book, which kind of makes, you know, so I was surprised. that I'm like, oh, these books are pretty good. (laughs) It was not the worst thing on the planet, even though I felt like at that time I was depressed or X, Y, Z. And that's how I felt. When I was writing it, it doesn't really come off on the page. So um I, I do think that the first two are good. You know, I mean the first one won what three, four awards, and the second one was nominated for two awards and was a Today Show best summer read of twenty nineteen. So I mean, they're 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 good they're good books for what they are. So I'm not I'm not gonna say like they're the best books on the planet, but I'm I'm proud of them. So they're great,
2: they're great do you, yeah. so you talk about the new book at all or is that sort of uh, something you don't like
0: doing no I don't mind talking about it um, basically I mean, like I've been,
2: on? yeah <laughs> so, so no
0: yeah when I um, I went a friend invited me to a um, writer's retreat at her house in Baltimore and she was not in town and she had a four story row house and I was there by myself and I thought I could go downstairs right now and find a dead body and not know how it got there and her neighbors would be like, who's the black girl? Why did she kill somebody? And so that's the idea behind the book. This black woman and her boyfriend come up to Jersey City from Baltimore. And they're supposed to spend a romantic weekend in New York City area. And she wakes up one day and her boyfriend's missing. And this white woman who's been missing and been all of the news from missing for a couple of days um, is dead in her foyer. And she does not know how the woman got there. And so... Um, like I said before, the Gabby Petito case is interesting because they talk about, like, the idea of missing white woman syndrome when um the media, l- like, latches on to this beautiful missing, you know, woman and it becomes, like, this huge news, you know, which is good. But also, if you think about it, women go missing every day. They don't make news. Um, And, like, the Gabby Petito case, it was so interesting because you had, like, the TikTok slews and, like, people whose whole – the Whole thing was like investigating the case, and there'd be sightings of the boyfriend Ryan Laundry and theories. And they weren't officers, so some of these theories were so outlandish, but they didn't seem to care if they were accurate or not, right? And so that's what happens: is um, there's all these theories about what happened to this the woman who who's missing and who's now dead, and it's kind of like how does that affect this innocent woman who? Came downstairs and found her in the foyer. He doesn't know what happened to her boyfriend, so that's kind of I play with that a lot, with that social media element. So,
3: yeah. Now, do you have um, social media, or do you like to interact with people on social media, or fans, or readers, or do you have a website? How do people find you?
0: I have a website, which is very pretty because I had I paid someone to design it. But I um, I am on all the social media platforms. Uh, my favorite, my favorite's Twitter um if you like so if you like book stuff follow me on twitter because i talk about my book i retweet everyone and their mom when it comes to um my friends and their books coming out i'm on instagram i i traditionally have used instagram to um just stalk people and to just look at gossip <laughs> but i'm trying to get better with posting stuff so i do post book stuff um I tend to forget my Facebook author page exists. But what I tend to do is I'll just make my personal page. If I do a post on um, on my book, I'll make it public so people can see it. Um, but for me, Facebook is more like the most personal for me because I think I've had it the longest. So I have a lot of people who know me, like know me forever on there. So I don't want to like, you know, just like book. <laughs> book. You know, I don't want them to like God, Kelly's talking about a book again. You know, so I try to do more personal stuff on there. I do keep that private, though, just because I don't necessarily need, I think the world needs to see how cute my niece and nephew are. Although they're very cute. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely on all the social media platforms. So.
3: Great, and you're doing TikTok dances for everyone.
0: No, that's actually the one I'm not on. I'm not on TikTok. I, I'm kind of, I'm fascinated with it. I just don't see myself I'm a writer, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a performer, I'm a writer, you know, so I've, there's some authors who kill it when it comes to those, those skits and things, and, um, and all of them, I'm just not, that's just not my personality, and I truly believe you should do what you find you enjoy when it comes to social media as an author, because um, otherwise it comes across as fake, and so um, I don't see myself being on TikTok, but you know, maybe next week I'll change my mind and I'll be dancing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, we hog everything up on our website as well, so people can find you with one click when they're listening. So, you know, um, get a few more followers, hopefully. Um, how, how was, how was the COVID? How was writing during COVID and, and even now and, you know, with the war and, and, um, you know, anti-mask rallies and just all the weird
0: stuff going on outside. Does that stress sort of affect your writing? Yeah, I think it's hard for everyone. And I think we have to be kind to ourselves. We've just spent the last two years, the world has changed, you know, and we thought it would be two weeks, right? And it's two years later, and it's still, you know, it's still going on. And um, that's the thing, like, this is the new normal. We're not getting back to normal. This is the new normal, right? Um, On the flip side, though, I, I had, I would have to commute to New York every day for work. And so I, now have two hours, you know, a day that I did not have before that I can, you know, work on my book stuff because I, I try to keep it separate. Like, my day job is my day job. I don't work on my book during my day job. But when my day job's over, I try to focus fully on, you know, on my on my book stuff. Um, so that's been good for me. Um, what I did is we sold my book on proposal. Because <laughs> I was like, to my agent, I'm like, I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this. Um, so let's try to sell it on proposal. And luckily we were able to sell it in five days um, on proposal, which is nice. Um, and it helps when you have a contract to finish. <laughs> it makes it easier to write when you got a contract. <laughs> um, so that's what I did.
3: Well, it's, it's certainly been interesting to talk to you. And I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy and... You, got, you know, you got all these things going on and uh, writing good books and everything. Um, um, our guest has uh, got a new book out called Like a Sister and uh, Kelly Garrett. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you, Al. Thank you, John, for having me.
1: Thanks, Kelly. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews.